everyone, and welcome to episode three of Appetite for Distraction, a podcast dissecting music and tech. I'm Yash. I write a newsletter called Appetite for Distraction. And I'm Martin. I write a newsletter called Music X. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about something that has captured the attention of the crypto world, the whole FTX Binance fiasco. Let's just call it for now. It is a fiasco. <laughs> it is. It is. And the second thing we want to talk about will be the creator royalties that a lot of the marketplaces, NFT marketplaces, are are skipping on now. Mm. This has been in the news lately as well. Yeah, and I think what should be clear from the start here is that we don't understand a lot of this either, right? So we yeah. will talk about this with an equal amount of understanding as most of our listeners will have. Yeah, very important disclaimers. We're also just trying to figure this out ourselves and we haven't spoken about this before recording this. So it should be fun to kind of hash it out live, so to speak, and see where we go. Yeah, and we're recording this today on the 11th and publishing also. it next week. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how that how what changes in the meantime. Also important, seven days can be seven months in crypto time so yeah all of these caveats included let's let's kick it off right we are now actually officially in crypto winter we had a crash and everybody was just kind of working along and then then this happened yash what happened (laughs) okay so i'm gonna try and summarize what happened to be honest i'm grappling with what happened essentially in the world of centralized crypto exchanges we have binance which is the world's biggest exchange, a $300 billion company, a gargantuan player in the crypto space. And we have FTX, which is a relatively new player. Binance is founded by Changpeng Zhao, or CZ, as he's called in the crypto world. And FTX is run by Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, as he's known in the crypto world. Bear with us as we use these acronyms. Binance was one of the first investors in in FTX. And as FTX grew, Binance and FTX then were competitors, friendly competitors, because they're operating in the same space, but competitors nonetheless. Binance, as part of that initial deal, had $2 billion worth of FTT tokens, the token that FTX issues. And this is, of course, quasi-equity. It's not really equity in, in FTX. But it does signify a part of their asset holdings. More recently, over the last few months, Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, had been kind of speaking to regulators in Washington about new crypto regulation and regulation that will kind of cover DeFi and things like that. So he was really prominent in Washington. And CZ, who is the founder of Binance, found out or noticed that SBF was bad-mouthing Binance to regulators. So in these internal meetings, he was telling regulators that Binance flouts the rules and so on and so forth. They'd been going at it in public for a while and in retaliation. And this is just one narrative, right? So keep that in mind. But apparently, in retaliation, CZ tweeted to his 7 million followers on Twitter that he will be dumping their $2 billion of FTT tokens. Obviously, this created panic, right? A whale is selling a huge chunk of tokens. And a lot of the folks who are holding FTT started selling their tokens. And uh, I think there were like 1 billion plus US dollars of withdrawals. FTX as an exchange couldn't handle that liquidity crunch because there were so many withdrawals coming in. And in a complete plot twist, 
CZ comes in and says, hey, SBF, we can help you out here. And they called it strategic transaction or something like that. But essentially, why don't we buy you and help you out of this liquidity crunch? It's like CZ created the panic in the first place and then sold the solution. So classic Procter & Gamble shampoo and conditioner style move, right? So yeah, that's a great analogy, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what happened, right? Like you you create the problem and you swoop in with the solution. But anyway, Binance said that, of course, this is not a final thing. We're going to do, you know, some due diligence and so on and so forth. Yesterday or, or day before yesterday, Binance came in and said, hey, we're backing out of the deal. After doing our due diligence, we found out that FTX and some associated companies like Alameda, and they're in bad shape. So we're backing out of this deal. So this was big. This is what happened, essentially. And and with that, the whole of the crypto world tumbled down again and, and hurt a lot of people. You said at the beginning, these are centralized institutions in the end, right? So maybe that's where the problem lies. Yeah, it's a little nuanced, right? So on the one hand, I'm very bullish about centralized exchanges like Coinbase. And at least in these initial days, as crypto kind of moves along that adoption curve, it's important to have centralized exchanges because they are a good bridge operators in the crypto space and regulators. They make sure you do your KYC so that they instill confidence in, in retail investors and so on and so forth. So I think there's a place for these platforms as we move towards complete decentralization. So a lot of the things that we spoke about in the first two episodes about freedom and transparency and governance and things like that, obviously centralized exchanges function more like TradFi or the traditional financial world, right? So this is the complication. So maybe we can talk about like, how does this impact music, right? I like to say that, you know, if, if whatever you start doing in crypto, whenever you bring something to the blockchain, be aware that it financializes everything. And that brings certain risks with it, right? And that's definitely something we've seen today because you can have, let's call them bad actors who, who over leverage other people's money. Music isn't really a, a decentralized finance play, right? Music uses very different sides of the tools that are available through the blockchain. So I don't know, do you, do you think that music is actually impacted by this or are just, you know, is, is, is ETH just worth less? So I have like a broad point to make and like a specific point to make. I'll start with the broad one. I think anytime something like this happens, you take the Luna crash or you take this whole episode, the whole crypto world comes under increasing scrutiny from regulators. And this is problematic for crypto in general and for the adoption of crypto. This case in particular is a little detrimental because... Sam Bankman-Fried was lobbying heavily in Washington and he was meeting all of these powerful and influential and smart people. And a lot of these people were actually supporting SBF and trying to lobby for crypto and for healthy regulation. But now a lot of these people look stupid for rooting for someone like SBF. Of course, we are talking about a very US-specific context here. But as we know, US regulation and US policy does have downstream effects on policies in Europe and policies in India and other emerging markets. So that's the broader point I wanted to make. And the second one, the more specific point was, you know, we spoke about this idea of financial speculation and fandom intermingling in crypto in the last episode. And I also spoke about how there are ways out of that, you know, so we can structure communities in a way where it need not all be financial speculation. But this whole FTX thing really highlights the the cults and just this tribal mentality that drives crypto prices and behavior in crypto. And it's so interesting, right? Because 
literally 72 hours earlier, Sam Bankman-Fried was a genius. You know, he was this nerd who was sitting in the Bahamas running the second biggest crypto exchange. Lobbying he, all these major politicians. He was like a, he was eccentric. He was kind of weird, but he was a genius, right? And now all of these people are coming out and saying, oh, we always knew he was, you know, I, I'm reading Twitter threads that are saying, oh, 10 red flags that you should have known before the FTX fall. And, you know. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, things like that. It's it's so hindsight bias influenced, right? And and the, of course, the line separating genius and and complete failure is is a very fine one. But I think in music as well, it this kind of plays in right because like like you said like fans invest in a specific community whether that's an artist community or or something else based on cult dynamics based on on tribal dynamics and adding financial value to that can be dangerous because at least in the traditional finance world you're investing in something like i invest in amazon not because i'm a jeff bezos fan but more because I believe in the fundamentals of Amazon, presumably. I know a few people invest in in companies because they're fans of the CEOs. But generally speaking, financial investors do their due diligence. But in music, it can get a little tricky because people don't do that. And purchases and consumption is driven by fandom and driven by non-financial reasons. This could be problematic. This is probably the beauty and curse of crypto and music. Yeah, exactly. But you see these things come back in crypto music as well, just like you see the same things come back from traditional finance in centralized slash decentralized finance. It's like that saying, right? History doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you kind of see the same patterns just in different forms. I agree. We've kind of dealt with a lot of these issues in the traditional music industry. The narrative around crypto and music is that these problems will be solved. Yeah. But a story like this comes out and everyone gets a reality check. So two things, really. First of all, if I go back to how does this whole FTX fiasco impact music, it impacts music in the sense that ETH prices are down and you know, a lot of stuff is being built on ETH. There's quite a lot of music stuff happening on Solana. Solana is particularly badly impacted by by the FTX fiasco because a lot of Sol was leveraged within the exchange. So, so there's definitely that reality check happening there. Having said that, I think that music itself is not really impacted that much, right? Because a lot of crypto music is centered around NFTs. And I don't, particularly see something like this impacting the value of nfts besides the fact that the cryptocurrency underneath it is is worth less this could be also an interesting you know point in the market where people think oh i can maybe afford this now i can get in and and try this i can see if i can do something with setting up a wallet buying my first nft and all that sort of stuff the other point that you were alluding to right is that you have the familiar gartner hype cycle where there is the trow of despair and every time this happens you can fall into that but instead of sort of worrying about the impact this could have on your product right I, i take this from george howard he put this in a tweet you should focus on your purpose and i think that's super important and actually for uh, musicians it's easier to do that because they always have to focus on their purpose right because when you start out making music nobody cares 
So if you don't focus on the purpose of why you're making music, then you will never ever get there. If you just start churning out music, you're one of many, many, many people who do the same. So you need to have a way to communicate, to tell the story of your music, right? That is already necessary. So I think actually music might be well-placed to take advantage of this particular moment of crash to actually come through this and, and get something out of it. Yeah, totally, totally. So a point I wanted to make earlier was if you look at a time when releasing an NFT itself was a marketing strategy. An NFT is not a marketing strategy, right? This is a very important distinction because at the end of the day, you have to create value for your fans. Every time a startup fails, the New York Times doesn't do a piece on, oh, C-Cops are a scam. You know, that's not the point here. The business was terrible. It didn't provide value to its customers, which is why it failed, right? The structure on which it was built was solid. Those are two different things. And what we're dealing with here is innovation on an architectural level, right? So if you look at crypto that way, if you look at crypto on an architectural level, rather than the thing in itself, that will take us down a healthier path. I think this happens with every new technology. Like I know a lot of internet veterans talking about how in the late 90s, a lot of these companies were built on top of sophisticated sounding things, but really they were like basic companies. They were just traditional companies pretending to be tech companies. Let's treat Web3 as a technology and think about what it can enable rather than treating Web3 as the product itself. The NFT is not the product. It's the container. And I think if you can internalize, then that will help you like focus on the purpose of, of what you're trying to build, right? If you're a builder or, you know, if you're a musician, mm-hmm. then it can be about like, uh, how do I tell my story and how do I how do I utilize these tools to help me tell that story, to reach my fans, to connect with them, to help them connect to each other and, and, and all those sorts of things. Presumably, we are in that next stage now. And I think this crypto winter that you spoke about earlier will be helpful. You build true value when you keep the financialization out of the equation. That's when you're focusing on the product and the value you provide to your fans rather than focusing on price and finance related things. Money does matter though, especially to like independent artists who have engaged in this and who've made a living out of this, right? Or who for whom it has become a substantial revenue flow to release NFTs, to do crypto related work with their music. I think it's important to talk about this other thing that we introduced at the start, which is that a lot of the NFT marketplaces are now cutting out the, the secondary market royalties. Yeah. So before we start, Martin, do you mind explaining how the secondary royalty stream works like what do you mean by secondary royalties just for folks who who need a quick primer yeah good shout say you yash you know you release an nft i buy this nft for you for like 0.1 e and we do this on one of the many marketplaces that exists but let's take the biggest one let's pick OpenSea. then most of that money just goes to you as the creator right a little bit of it goes to OpenSea, and then I say, oh, look, this NFT by by Yash is is going up in value. I could sell this for a profit now. So I'm putting it out on the market and I sell this for 0.2 ETH, right? Because you've become significantly more popular or something. And then you've set a creator royalty in in that NFT for like 10%. And then you get 10% of that 0.2 ETH, right? So you get 0.02 ETH out of that transaction goes into your wallet. You don't really have to do anything. You just get it. And that is what is being cut out now. I just have this statement that OpenSea put out in front of me that basically says that 
the last few months have proven that off-chain enforcement is too brittle. I think that's an important keyword, right? Off-chain yes. enforcement. And it's so revealing because a lot of what we think is on-chain is happening off-chain via centralized servers through these centralized platforms. Yeah, via Amazon Web Services. Absolutely. And I think that's very important to note that this yeah. is also driven not by idealism, but by financialization. You see a lot of the marketplaces that have VC backing are exactly the ones that are stepping out of this creator royalty, right? Enforcing that. You know, this this is kind of reminiscent of what Twitter was like. So Twitter, when it initially started, was a pretty open place. At some point, Twitter closed off that ecosystem because at the end of the day, if you open up your platform too much, it's very hard to monetize. So we're seeing something similar in these NFT market marketplaces where they're closing off their ecosystem. And the whole idea initially was that NFTs promote interoperability and so on, which they still do, of course. But the platforms that they're hosted on are now trying to figure out how do they create business modes? How do they monetize? How do they lock creators in? And essentially, it's become a fight for market share, which, of course, for us in music is a very familiar fight. We see labels doing this all the time. I'm not too sure what the way out of this looks like, because like I said, some of these platforms and some of these trusted names are really important for the adoption of crypto. Yeah, for sure. It's because it's where people land, right? It's where they have their first experience centralized servers familiar interfaces these things instill confidence in folks who are just dabbling in crypto yeah I mean, they, they, it, it, adoption requires good design you know i, I mean this is I, I i sound like steve jobs and i don't like <laughs> apple but that's just true absolutely so there is a place for centralized platforms but i think creators should be mindful of how centralized the platform they're using is essentially make decisions that hedge those risks, right? At the end of the day, if OpenSea in the future tries to lock creators in or lock your content into their ecosystem, which I hope they don't do, but if they do that, creators should be in a position to mitigate that risk. If you look at OpenSea, they came out and they said, hey, you know, we're going to enforce royalties on chain moving forward. So what happens to NFT collections? that already exist, right? Mm. That that was a big question that came out. And another thing that came out was, okay, so it looks like you can enforce those royalties on chain now, but it's an opt-in status, right? It's not automatic. And uh, f- for sure, we need to talk to like a specific developer who is who is well-versed in, in working contracts uh, related that. to OpenSea. But this is where I currently sit in my understanding of what is going on. And the... Again, this is also about perception, right? So so OpenSea makes it seem like they're very creator-friendly. But then when you get into the minutiae of it, you see all these things. And then you really want to understand what is going on. And the big question is, of course, that when you come to mass adoption, most of the people will not care about those minutiae. They will just do what it is that, the, that you should be doing on a platform. Buy things, sell things, you know? So it's, it's important that we get it right now. Um, Absolutely. I think this is definitely way more complicated than it seems and it is but it's also an opportunity for so a lot of people have been releasing their own protocol right descent has been releasing its own protocol sound has released its own protocol so hopefully we'll see more 
activity there, right? And we'll see more, I don't know, I don't really necessarily want to call it niche, but to see those protocols become more important for music, you know? So there's a lot of good things that are being built and I hope we'll see more uptake for them. Absolutely, yeah. So in conclusion, what are your thoughts on this crazy week that we've just seen, Martin? I think the main thing for me is that the narrative became, you know, okay, so all the all the speculators, all the flippers have left the space. All we're left with is the builders. And that I mean, that's really true now. I mean if you're <laughs> if you're still here, then then you have something to do. And and I think that will lead us to these great new innovations. And one of the things that I think as well in our conversation to the, you know, has, has, has become clear is that the move towards transparency, that's just being pushed. And that will be pushed more by the people that will remain in the ecosystem that are building on this architecture, like, like you said. What about you? I'm still grappling with my thoughts on what happened this week. I do think on the one hand that, like you said, it promotes conversation and it keeps the folks who are experimenting on a value level still in the game and it spits out all of the folks who are in it for the for the financial gains solely for the financial gains while this is good i do think that there is something to be said about stability and predictability of a market and you know i guess this is just inevitable in a new space as we move along the adoption cycle this is probably inevitable so that's one way to think about it. We are definitely moving towards more stability. And personally, I do think a light touch regulation might might actually help. And, and what would that look like? Do you Can you put that into words? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So for me, most of the regulation and enforcement should be on chain, like crypto intended, right? That was the original vision and that's how it should be. But there is a space for traditional regulators so legislators to come in and have very light framework on on compliance and auditing standards and things like that and there are some forward-minded legislators who are thinking about this stuff the main thing that legislation will do is bring more people in this space and it will kind of protect retail investors from from what just happened this week, right? This is very important because for investors like Sequoia, they can just write it off. But for retail investors, for ordinary people who lost their money, there are no systemic protection measures. And that is a little problematic. And we lose great builders and we lose lose great people because of that. So if there are some measures that ensure that these companies are meeting financial standards, I know our auditing and accounting standards are really backward. And they don't account for, for example, a lot of the assets that SBF held through his various companies were in FTX, the token, yeah, right? Yeah. And that token completely dropped in value and literally wiped out his net worth in, in a matter of hours. So updating accounting standards and things like that would constitute a soft touch legislative approach. I know that was a long answer to your short question, but... Soft, soft touch legislative approach. That is going <laughs> to be the hashtag that we put out with this episode. Yep, yep. And I'm sure a lot of my law school friends will come back to me and point holes in my argument, of course. But Of course, of course. Uh, that's, that's normal. But yeah, in conclusion, the main things that we speak about haven't changed, right? It's still an exciting time to experiment. It's still an exciting time to build. Things like this are are always educative and 
they'll kind of inform our next steps. You know, a week ago, you may have thought, oh, I should do this. And now that you've seen this happen, you think, oh, maybe I should take a totally different direction. Yeah. You know, build for value creation rather than pure financial gain. I think that's, that's what we will the... be telling everybody until the day we die. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Martin. And I guess we'll see you guys on the next episode. Yeah. See you for number four.